this uh, sense of pure presence and the immediacy and the simplicity of it. This is why I keep encouraging this, this attention because uh, we're oftentimes conditioned through reading books on meditation or on Buddhism that you go through stages and you have to get this in order to get that. And so uh, this is, and this is, of course goes along with the structure of thoughts, which is linear, dualistic. <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, conceive yourself, you know, you always see yourself as somebody that was born and now is a certain age and will die in the future. And this is all done through thought, isn't it? You think, you create yourself. When you, you create yourself as a man or woman, or monk or nun, or in, a, in whatever way you conceive yourself to be, you create that and commit yourself to that as reality. So when we just think about Buddhism or Buddha Dhamma and just learn it on terms of teaching and tradition, views, opinions, ideas, concepts, we're stuck in that realm. We're limited to that dualistic realm. So Nibbana is always something to attain in the future. And, uh, and you see yourself as someone who hasn't attained it who will do something in order to hopefully attain it. So that's why you can't trust your thinking mind, you know, not to put your faith in your views or opinions, but in the immediacy of awareness. That's the way it seems, you know, in a personal, when I think about myself, I can think about myself as a person with a history. But that, that's only creation in the present, isn't it? It's through memory, being able to remember things and about my past, many things, much of my past I can't even remember. I've gone into a, an abyss of silence and uh, never to be in, reborn again. But there are other things that I do remember. So it's just memory. Though so memory is a function that comes and goes. And you can see with all the, the uh, discussion around Alzheimer's disease where people lose their memories. Now, that is, uh, or strokes, where people can't remember their past anymore. How dependent we are on that to feel uh, that we are somebody. So even if we, we create ourselves into do anything, I mean, you know, just identify with any possibility, being a failure, being a successful person, or 
I mean, uh, from addict, alcoholic, or being a, an angel, or whatever, the the tendency to always to to feel that we need to be something or somebody, or to prove yourself, prove your worth. So this is, when you examine this, and this is, you create yourself every moment that you're, you know, you're creating yourself as somebody. Until you begin to recognize and realize this awareness, the pure presence, and it's just like, it's a very simple imminent act. It's not a, a great skill you know, concentrated effort and and um, abilities of refined attention. It's learning to trust in something very immediate. So when you think about it, you get even more confused, you know, and you try to figure it out and you get further away. Because the very act of thinking complicates is it something you're creating. You're creating an idea of pure presence or awareness or mindfulness. And you're creating a view about it or a definition or an opinion. You might have very good views and opinions about it, but it's still not it, is it? It's this imminent act of attention. Now, I, I experience that very much as listening and the, the sense of listening because they're able to listen or hear and that is such a important faculty for us and whether you're in the dark or in by yourself or in a group or in broad daylight whatever there's listening attention Two years ago, I used to imagine, have this image of a, of a red Indian brave out in the woods, just fully alert, just attentive, not, not fixed on anything, but all the senses completely receptive and alert. You're listening for the sound of an animal moving or whatever, the sound of the wind or falling leaf. So one learning to sustain this sense of attention, open receptivity, which is not, you don't create with thought. It's, you can't, it's not a matter of, of, uh, creating it, but of what I call this imminent act. 
doing it, being that, being that awareness itself. In the scriptures, uh, you know, Buddha would would give a few words and somebody would become an arahant right away. And we used to wonder about that. You know, how could... People must have been very advanced then in India 2,500 years ago because, you know, we... You know, our way of looking at it all is so, you know, stages and, and attainments. How could just somebody just suddenly realize arahantship because in the way we think and perceive even the Buddhist uh, texts is very conditioned to this dualistic linear way of of experiencing life <clears throat> but if you trust in intuitive awareness when you put your faith in Dhamma Buddha Dhamma Sangha not in the idea of Buddha Dhammasana, the abstraction, the abstract words and concepts and images of Buddha Dhammasana, but being that Buddha Dhammasana now, how do you do that? How can you be Buddha Dhammasana right now? And after many reflections on this over many years, that's the imminent act of awareness. It's the only possibility, the only reality. So you trust that. I encourage this trusting because it's sada or faith. When you think about it, you'll doubt, you'll doubt it, you'll go into all kinds of doubts and questions and whatnot about it. So this is where I, I encourage you to trust it, get to know it and value it, treasure it. This is something really blessed, our blessing, it's grace, it's blessing that we have with us every moment. You know, it's our true nature rather than uh, just some kind of vague abstraction that with uh, <clears throat> insight practices is reflecting on the way it is it's the um, to be able to 
to not intellectually anymore, but intuitively see, you know, to know the reality of arising and ceasing. So as you trust in this awareness, uh, this silence and stillness, you, you know, if you if you learn to trust it more and more, sustain it, rest in it, then you you have a you what I call it like you have a big space, a kind of in, infinite spaciousness to reflect on the body, the feelings, emotions, habits of any sort. So then the this uh, understanding of dukkha, say the first noble truth. This word "understand" is it's uh, it's such a kind of common English word that uh, it doesn't doesn't create any kind of profound reactions usually. We just think we understand understanding. But see that it's an intuitive understanding, this sense of of opening, receiving dukkha rather than and we think we can understand dukkha because we understand how what the Pali dictionary defines dukkha we have we can get into you know academic discussions about whether suffering is exactly the right word or it's not very good should it be dissatis- unsatisfactoriness or trying to find the perfect english equivalent to dukkha and spend our life just uh, going on that level of trying to to perfect the the convention But for me, the convention is good enough. Doesn't need to be all that accurate because it's pointing at a reality. You can realize that myself. I don't need the the convention itself to be perfect because it's pointing. Rather than as long as it points in the right direction, that's all that's necessary. So, so understanding then is like an intuitive. You know, to really not see dukkha as some, some, something abstract or an idea, but to really feel dukkha, know dukkha, let it really open and receive dukkha in your life. Suffering or dissatisfaction, discontentment. Despair and all the, its various forms, or just the irritation. Just when we look at being born as, as a human being, you know, in this sense realm, it's the, it's so irritating <clears throat> to have sense organs have a human body. It's it's irrit it's uh, you know this is an experience of continuous 
unrelenting irritation, being conscious and sensitive. So this is reflecting, this noticing the, the tensions in the body and the the feeling or the the stiffness or the the irritation that you, that you are experiencing through sound, sight, smell, taste, touch, or thought. So it's this is the understanding then. Ramon Panikkar in his book says it's like standing under rather than understanding <laughs> or receiving. <clears throat> Receiving, uh, allowing suffering, to, willing to to suffer, means that you're you're not spending your time just trying to push it away and resist it. So you're opening to life, this, this sensory, the world that we experience, the sense world. It's changing us in a very positive way. It's not just it's not negative kind of distaste and criticism of it, but it's, it's, it's uh, like the kind of stimulation you need, the kind of irritation that we can learn from. So when I say all conditions are dukkha, it's not like a, it's not like a, a wet blanket that just uh, denies pleasure and and wants to just make a a statement against everything as if it's all just a bunch of rubbish not worth bothering with. Because it's not, isn't it? Even pleasure is irritating. You know, too much pleasure is is uh, is unbearable. So we uh so that just by noticing this, it's not complaining or criticizing, it's discerning. So the panya faculty, learning to do, use panya. So discernment, noticing the, the difference between the real and the unreal, the conditioned and the unconditioned. So this awareness, the, the mindfulness is the path to the deathless. So that says a lot. So awareness, that's, this is the, the gate, the door to the deathless. That's our trust. So I can't get behind it, but I can realize it. I can't observe it the deathless, I can only be it. So this is an act of faith because anything you can observe is not not what you really are. So it's, it's learning to trust and be aware. And from there you discern the, the can see the condition realm that we experience through this form. Through consciousness, it's changing. This it's uh, arising, ceasing. 
and that's embracing it. It's not it's not a criticism or a rejection. It includes, I say, everything belongs. Foolishness belongs. Stupidity belongs. Evil belongs. Atrocity, crime, drug addiction, prostitution. Everything, the angels, the butterflies, the birds, the flowers, the industrial cities, the bleak landscapes, the pollution, the everything, <laughs> corruption, honesty. I mean, there's nothing that that doesn't belong because it. it if that's the way it is, it's, a, it's the way it is. It's here and now. Well, when we get into discriminative, discriminative thinking and analysis, we think it shouldn't be like that. There shouldn't be pollution. There shouldn't be crime. There shouldn't be corruption. Shouldn't be terrorists. Uh, there shouldn't be atrocities. There shouldn't be pedophiles. There shouldn't be um, any of those bad things, we've got to create a world that's that is that is uh, free from all those evil, negative conditions. So that we know where that takes us, and how what, you know when when you're young. And idealistic, that's how you, that's what you hope you're going to do with your life. <clears throat> but when I was young, I was very determined to, to not make the stupid mistakes I saw everyone else making and to, <clears throat> you know, dedicate myself to higher ideals. Only to be terribly disappointed by the age of 30. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, because uh, I didn't understand, though I didn't understand it in terms of Dhamma, I understood it, understood only in terms of ideas, how things should be. Now, shouldn't be. That's why you can't trust that. That's a, function of the mind, the thinking mind creates ideas and so your ideas can be you know I, beautiful or ugly you can create fantasies, you can create anything with your mind uh, from with any quality quantity so that this is uh, the way it is, so that this this is not to be something that we take refuge in, because we delude ourselves. We can convince ourselves something really bad is very good, or something very good is very bad. <clears throat> so, in with this. Sati Sampachanya, this, this word Sampachanya, intuitive comprehension, the gut knowledge, the 
it's not 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 a, an intellectual abstraction like it's translated generally in english as clear comprehension it's like a clear discernment of the way it is rather than understanding the meaning of every condition and being able to sort out everything logically and analytically that's more we use the word intuitive embracing intuition embraces thinking divides thinking is divisive it that's it's very that's how it works it's a discriminative function of the mind so intuition then is unitive it includes it's what meta really is isn't it meta is is an intuition when it's just conceptual and it becomes rather soppy it can be just soppy because we're just looking at it in terms of being incredibly nice and sweet and spreading love everywhere rather than than really uh trusting in intuitive awareness where metta then is is very real not just sentimentality or or being terribly nice and good about everything So in, in, in discerning, getting to, to really explore conditioned phenomena, you, you understand it, you embrace it. So, so sometimes people get the idea you kind of reject it, let go of it, and turn away from the world and uh, go into the ultimate reality and... Uh, want to stay there this kind of this, this is another way of thinking but that's not what really happens it's learning to include everything because the all conditioned phenomena belongs in this moment whatever you're experiencing now it belongs rather than there's, there's something wrong there's got to get rid of something so this is an intuitive sense of learning to open receive embrace welcome include rather than resist and try to control and attain something that by getting rid of the coarser attaining to the more refined levels and then the struggles that we've all been engaged in in our monastic life trying to to uh, get something get somewhere achieve and attain but even that desire belongs 
they were goal oriented and achievement oriented then what is that like you know what is it what is it like what does it feel like you know so you're taking an interest in noticing this this desire to to really get somewhere or to get something you don't have or or desire to get rid of annoying thoughts or feelings, emotions. So, in understanding dhanha or dukkha, this understanding means like embracing dukkha. Take an interest in 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 your suffering, not not analyze it. Why do I suffer? You know, what is what is it I do that I make myself suffer, and why do I have to suffer like this? But don't ask the why question, but what does it feel like? You know, what is, you feel it in your guts or in your heart. What is it like? You know, so that you. What is it as experience? So you're really getting to know it. Like, Bawadanha can be very idealistic, and so one, one gets dazzled by one's idealism and desire for attainment. What does that feel like? This, this wanting something, this longing to get something. So then you're reflecting on the reality of it, saying, longing for something, for achievement, wanting to get something. So you really get to know that, understand it in terms of its energetic presence, the reality of it, rather than an abstract idea about, I've got a lot of bhavadana, I've got a lot of ambition to get something, and I've got to learn how to kind of let it go. I shouldn't have it, you know, I've got to get rid of it somehow, is the, is how we tend to think about it. It's not a matter of getting rid of dhanha, but of understanding it. <coughs> Different thing. So, when you contemplate, this is a desire realm, sense realm. This bodies are desire bodies. 
Well, they're all about desire. They wouldn't be here if, they, if there was no desire. And so the, the human body is, is um, created out of desire. The way it is. I'm not saying that's bad. Desire doesn't necessarily mean that's pass a value judgment, but that's the way it is. Sense, sense organs, isn't it? They, you see, you see beautiful, something beautiful and you want it. And you see something ugly, you don't want it. Desire to, to get the, the, what you like, attracted to, and desire to get rid of what you don't like. This is just natural. This is not personal, or that there's anything wrong with this. Now, it's to understand it, that our particular opportunity arises now. It's to understand, it's the first noble truth, understanding dukkha. So see, see that dukkha, unsatisfaction, desire, kamadana, bhavadana, vipudana, the opportunities other than obstructions to the path that you've got to get rid of in order to become enlightened. You know, when we ask this realm not to be suffering, then we're asking for the impossible. We would just want happiness, a realm where there's nothing but happiness and pleasure and security, safety. It's a heaven, isn't it? That we can create an, an image of heaven in our minds. You know, of a perfect place. I can create, you know, just by thinking an ideal of heaven where I'm happy all the time and I always feel safe and loved and everything's pleasant and pleasurable, secure, safe, beautiful, no pollution, no corruption, no despair, no depression, no snakes, no worms. The apples never have worms in them. They're always beautiful. You don't have to defecate anymore in heaven. And that would be unthinkable, isn't it, in a perfect place. But you can actually create create a place where you still have a, you can imagine your physical body, but it's a little more refined than it is on this planet. Maybe ethereal. So you don't have to go through those embarrassing, disgusting things as urination defecation or digestion or things like this. A pink paradise of purity. <clears throat> you can create whatever, how you want to conceive heaven, you can do it. Uh, kind of children's, remember the children's song when I was a child? Soda water fountains, lemonade springs, ice cream all the time. (laughs) 
you can do the same with hell, where an unmitigated misery, excruciating pain, without a moment's respite, is the Avicii hell, isn't it? The lowest, most miserable hell realm, where there's not even one moment of relief from the unmitigated misery. We can create, that's a perception, isn't it? Uh, that I can create hell is, is through just thinking about the worst possibilities, putting them in their superlative forms. So we attach to these, you know, when we attach to wanting pleasure and a place where everything's safe and and comfortable and secure then then we're all you know we we're not with the way things are but we're always trying to control and and create or create or perpetuate this illusion that's why people get so angry when it, when you disrupt it isn't it if you, people have a certain level of security and then it goes, and they just get terribly angry and <coughs> hateful. Any aliens or things that come in and take away their security is very distressing. Examining the conditioned realm then is, you know, the sakaya ditti, this, this uh, sense of yourself as a person, you know. Explore that, you know, be a person then, be, be what you are. Don't be afraid of your personality, whatever it's like. You know, really, fully be yourself, in other words. But not as a position to take. But to recognize it, to realize what self is. We're not trying to get rid of self or personality, it's not an attack that we shouldn't have any personality I've got to kind of uh, you know, get rid of my personality in some way but it's it's discerning the personality for what it is condition is dependent when I notice I'm a different person under different conditions Personality changes according to conditions. So sometimes we think we've got to make ourselves into some kind of non-person and uh, smother our personalities rather than really 
know our personalities and the limitation of personality. Be an expert on personality, on the way you manifest as a person. So you know every little subtle detail of your personality from its best to its worst aspects. Strengths and its weaknesses, its assumptions. But your, the refuge is in the awareness. It's not criticizing personality either. It's not, you know, you're not, if, you know, if you start criticizing yourself, you're back in the same rut, aren't you? If you just start, you know, disparaging yourself and, and, uh, you know, dwelling on your faults and whatnot is, you know, about how you shouldn't feel like this or shouldn't be like this. So intuitive awareness embraces this personality. In whatever way your personality manifests, that's the way it's supposed to be right now. It's the way it is. So, you know, it belongs. There's nothing, even if you're in a horrible mood or murderous state. <laughs> it's the way it is, isn't it? It's, it's discerning. Your refuge is in this discerning sati sampachanya, satipanya. So you can allow a lot of unconscious fears and desires into your consciousness when you have this refuge. There's nothing to be afraid of. Everything belongs to a lot of what we fear and uh, and uh, control. And that is, we can let go. We can allow the personality to manifest in it demonic forms or angelic ones or mediocre ones because the relationship to it is embracing it rather than grasping with fear there's always a lot of repression you know when we're afraid we're always pushing things away from us trying to control, you know, people that have a lot of fear are always control freaks. They, they just want, you know, they you get very ill at ease when things get out of control. And then there's a dread of having a breakdown, of going crazy, of losing your marbles, of making a fool of yourself, of humiliating yourself, looking stupid, making a scene, being a nuisance. All these kind of things were brought up, you know, in, in to be you know, kind of well-bred, polite, nice people. Don't want to be a nuisance. I want to... <laughs> 
I don't want to make a scene. And, uh, and so we, you know, we can, we have these ideals of, you know, how we should be. But in this respect, this isn't working from ideals, but of trusting in your awareness of the things you're frightened of. Because you have this relationship to them now that embraces rather than resists or follows. So, upadana or clinging can be seen either as holding on to them blindly. So you, you know, so you have a break, you have a nervous breakdown and you grasp it and you, you conceive yourself as a person that's had a nervous, or you're trying to get rid of it, control it. Either way, it's ubadana, or clinging, or grasping. <clears throat> so that, just to see that clinging, grasping, the way we, I could see in my own practice through this awareness, it's a resistance to so many mental states in my, that I, you know, that I, don't like or don't want. So much of my life has been spent in resisting and controlling the mind. But in meditation, then the the there's a, an openness, welcoming, allowing things to be what they are. So then, fear even. And be and belongs. You know, if if there's fear, then that belongs here. Just by getting to know what is it like, whip or dunhan, to to get rid of something. I don't want this. I don't like this. I don't want to be bothered with this. And so, what does that feel like? What is it? The energetic when you're really resisting or <clears throat> trying to get rid of something open to that as an experience now so you can get to know be the knower of Vipavadana <coughs> become expert on dunha on suffering So then to to notice like when when there's awareness, I notice this is how I reflect this attention I'm 
hear the sound of silence. I'm perfectly attentive now. This is no self. I'm not trying to convince myself that there's no, but you know, when, when there's real, when you're trusting in this awareness right now, So you get, you, 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 you notice, you pay attention to, you realize, and this is where like realize or recognize no self is like this. And then, you, then you can, I used to deliberately create myself in whatever way I felt like, to, just to be aware of what I think I am and what I assume and what I believe and what I like and don't like. So that, that, um, that you, you know, you get really clear on what is the difference between atta and anatta, self and no self. So this is knowing directly. It's not, you know, so you have got to know this yourself. I'm just sharing this with you, you know, that it might help you a bit to trust more in recognizing, realizing this moment of no, no self is like this. And then you can become somebody, but pay do it quite intentionally so you, you notice how you become a person, become a, a man or woman, or become a, you know, some American or English or French or whatever. How this is, these are, these are what we create into this. So when, when the, all these conditions cease, what's left is the awareness. There's no Ajahn Sumedho, no American, no man. There's just this pure presence that, sust- that sustains. I can't get beyond it. I rest in it. So this way you, you, you know for yourself the difference, the discerning, this is satipanya, discerning the difference between self and no self. So that anatta doesn't remain some kind of abstract idea for you. 
you know, you kind of we believe in anatta, and all Buddhists believe there's no self, and <clears throat> and it can be just a, an empty perception, an abstraction that doesn't have any reality for us, because we don't know the difference. We don't. We've not discerned the difference when we become self and when there's no self. We just think we're the same person all the time. And it's easy for me to say, I'm the same, I'm Ajahn Sumato, uh, when all the time, when I'm asleep, I'm Ajahn Sumato, when I'm awake, when I'm happy, sad, and when, when my mind's empty, I'm still Ajahn Sumato with an empty mind. Oh, Ajahn Sumato, you know, this, this assumption that I am this, Ajahn Sumato is an ongoing condition, but it's not the way it is. Intuitively, it's not like that, is it? Pure presence. But that isn't, that isn't Ajahn Sumato. Pure presence is not personal. Not a person. As soon as I claim I'm purely present, then it's then I've lost it again, isn't it? I'm, I lay claim to it as some kind of personal attainment. There's no need to claim it, you know, or to to hold to the idea of it, but to trust in the reality of it. So, you know, this awakening to reality, realization, the way things are. <clears throat> then you see why this awakened sense of awakeness is important because we're highly conditioned. We're operating from, you know, most people are operating from conditioning, from assumptions, from ignorance from illusion. And those things, that's why, you know, the world is such a confused mess. Because those things just perpetuate more delusion until you awaken. So just trying to create yourself as an ideal personality. You know, I've got to work on my personality so I'm much more compassionate and wiser and kinder and more loving and open and receptive and but want to become a better person is not not to be despised, but but it's not liberating. So with, with, uh, it's all, you know, all right to become a better person, but if you're expecting that to be liberating, you'll be disappointed. So in terms of our commitment to sila, isn't it? This is putting limits on behavior and physical, physical action and speech as a way to, to take responsibility for how we live in this community, in this society, that we're not 
following, acting on demonic feelings, like a serial killer or somebody who does terrible things, commits atrocities. But in terms of Dhamma, then, if demons come up into consciousness, they belong also. So you, you just don't uh, grasp them or resist them. Just allow them to be demonic, to be what they are. Then they, their natural state is arising, ceasing. That's what they do. One experiment, not just like this pure awareness, and then say, I am, say, your name, I'll say, I am Ajahn Sameto, just to feel that. The sense of Ajahn Sameto kind of drops away. Is that Because that name has all kinds of other connotations and permutations. This sense of I am certainly is quite real, isn't it? But then you don't even need to say that or think that. Just pure presence is like this. So this is, I'm just exploring it in, in the way that I've done it. But I mean, it's, it's uh, true. It's reflective ability. Observing, witnessing, noticing the way it is. And then this breaks down the, this habitual assumption that, that I am this body and I am this personality. And I'm not, it's not believing in Buddhist ideas. It's actually through investigating you, you realize this. It's apparent. It's reality. But it's budget time to be realized individually by the wise through wisdom.
So this this uh, Sangyojana, the first letter, Sakyaditi. This is, you know, to to explore Sakyaditi, to get to know this is like the self, the sense of the self, the ego, personality. <coughs> The sense of I am that's connected to adjectives. I am Ajahn Sumato. I am an American. I am a Buddhist monk. I am a good person. I am a no good person. I am a important monk. I am a monk of no importance. <laughs> the, so that they, you know, you can go from one extreme to the other being reasonable or outrageous, but the but the adjectives that you add on you just sustain the sense of I am or just pure presence without adding some adjective. Because all the adjectives you identify with, they're very limited, aren't they? They're very, you know, you're always defining and separating in that way. I am a man. Then I'm separating myself as men and women, and I'm a man. So then I'm, I'm not a woman, I'm a man. So there's a division there, isn't there? I'm an American. Separative. So I'm identifying with something that's separate, that not everybody can identify with, or on and on like this. But if I listen to I am, that's kind of an honest reflection of this moment, isn't it? Because it is this this absolute subject, pure subjectivity, and the tendency to want to put it in, express it in words. But even that goes into pure awareness. 